Well, good morning. How great is our God? Don't we serve a great, great God this morning? So, have your Bibles. You can turn to Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 6 and some into Joshua chapter 7. And this morning we're going to see how great our God is. Now last week I began a new series entitled, What is it going to take for us to be the church and the people that God wants us to be? And last week we talked about how we needed to align with God's vision. We talked about how we needed to recognize that we are one body with one head, and that is Jesus Christ, that we are many parts with a common goal, which is to make disciples of Christ by walking worthy of the calling we have received, that we are the body of Christ in need of unity in one direction, and we talked about how when the church is unified, that God is glorified. And tonight, or this morning, I want to share with you another part in this series that if we're going to be the people in the church God wants us to be, our church and our lives must be defined by obedience. There was a man that told his mother about a friend who passed away. She was a young mother. She left three small children. His mother replied sympathetically, why couldn't it have been me? She said, I'm 99 years old and she was way too young to die. She said, I've served the Lord all my life, and I'm ready to go. The son, trying to console his mother, said, Mother, God left you here on earth for a purpose. He has a reason for your, your life. There's something else that God must want you to do. Without missing a beat, the mother said to his son, She said, Well, I'm telling you right now, I'm not doing it. She made it clear that she had no intention of following God's purpose and plan for her life. She was displaying willful disobedience. But we must understand that if we want to please God, if we want to show God that we love Him, we must live a life of obedience to Him. And in fact, in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands. It's like a parent and child relationship. The greatest way a child can show their parents that they love them is by being obedient to them. And the greatest way that we can show God that we love Him and His church is by being obedient to Him. And this morning, I want to share a very familiar story probably from the Old Testament. It's the battle, the conquest of Jericho. And on Joshua chapter 6, and I want us to understand what it looks like for us if we are going to live a life of obedience. But before we get into the scripture, I want to give you some background information that's very important to understand about Jericho. If you look at the map, there should be a map, a slide of a map of Israel. You see the blue line, that's the Jordan River. When the Israelites went from Shittim to Gilgal, they had to cross the Jordan River. And their first encampment, the first battle that they were going to face was going to be Jericho. Now Jericho, it was the first city the Israelites would enter after crossing the Jordan. It was well fortified. It was a military fortress. It was a military compound. If you see this slide, you can see the type of military compound that Jericho probably was. This is a depiction of what maybe ancient Jericho looked like. And you see that there's an outside wall, and then there's an inside wall, and even out, outside, uh, inside the outside wall, before you get to the inner wall, is a, is a retaining wall. And this is what you see as a cross-section, what archaeologists have discovered. You see this cross-section 
of the walls that the Israelites were marching around. You see that Jericho is built on an embankment. There's a retaining wall that's 12 to 15 feet high. Behind that wall, there's a brick wall about 20 to 26 feet high that's 6 feet thick. And then behind that, there's a a 46-foot high wall from ground level. So you kind of see what the Israelites were up against as they marched around these walls of Jericho. And the soldiers of Jericho, they would stand on top of these walls and they would watch guard for the approaching enemy and they could see for miles. They thought that their city was invincible, that it could not be conquered. They thought that Jericho was a symbol of military strength and power. And it was one of the oldest cities in the world. And it was located in a very strategic place because if you wanted to go from east to west or north to south, you had to go through Jericho. Jericho was also a center of worship for the moon god of the Canaanites. And actually, Jericho means moon city. So in the conquest of the land of Canaan, God's purpose was just not to destroy the Canaanite cities, but God's purpose was also to destroy their religion. He, God wanted to prove that he was the one true and living God. And the Israelites were to attack Jericho first because the destruction of Jericho would put fear in the heart of every person in Canaan. Once they saw what Israel done to Jericho, all the other Canaanite cities were supposed to be in fear of the nation of Israel. And to the Israelites conquering Jericho at first glance, it was going to be a very difficult task. The high walls, the advantageous location. So what was Joshua to do as he approached the city of Jericho? Was he to consult his commanders? Maybe they would advise him to construct siege ramps to approach the top of the walls. Maybe they would have told him to seal up the city and to try to starve them to death, to starve them into submission. There was a problem with that because the city of the Jericho had just brought in their harvest and they had plenty of food. The other issue is they had a natural spring water, a natural spring that was their source of water that ran through the city of Jericho. And they probably may have thought, well, they can't hold out forever. Maybe they'll eventually surrender. But you know what Joshua did? He did not consult the Israelite commanders. He was in touch with the one true commander. Joshua was in touch with Yahweh, with God himself. And as Joshua was in touch with God, with Yahweh, I believe he remembered Joshua 1.9. And Joshua 1.9, God told Joshua after he succeeded Moses, he said, Joshua, have not I commanded you? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. He said, be encouraged, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. You see, Joshua didn't have to figure out how to win this battle or how to conquer Jericho. God laid it out all before him. And all Joshua had to do was to obey it. All he had to do was to follow God's plan. And even though the battle plan given to him was very unconventional and very unique, and from a human perspective, it probably seemed ridiculous. But I want to read Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, and then get into the message. It says in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 6, Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I've handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. 
Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns trumpets. That's the shofar in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the people will advance each man straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, he summoned the priests and he said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Move forward, march around the city, have the armed troops go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And after Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of the priest who blew the trumpet, and the rear guard went behind the ark. Joshua had commanded the people, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. The ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling it once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest took the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets marched in front of the ark of the Lord. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of them. The rear guard went behind the ark of the Lord. On the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and they did this for six days. Early on the seventh day, they started at dawn, marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpet. Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. But the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone with her in her house will live because she hid the men or the spies we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart from destruction. If you take any of those things, you'll set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. For all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. The people shouted, the trumpet sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the people gave a great shout. The wall collapsed. The people advanced into the city. Each man straight ahead. They captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. Every man and woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. The first thing I want to share with you this morning, and if our lives are going to be defined by obedience, we must realize obedience to God requires preparation before God. You see the first five chapters of the book of Joshua prepared Joshua and the Israelites for this moment. In chapter 2, the spies were protected by Rahab. Joshua went two spies to check out Jericho and, and Rahab hid the spies and protected them. In chapters 3 and 4, we see the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. In chapter 5, we see the circumcision of the Israelites, which was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And his descendants in Genesis chapter 17. Because those born after the exodus from e Egypt had not been circumcised. This practice of circumcision was neglected by the older generation that had died in the wilderness as God had promised because of their disobedience. And then also in chapter 5 we see that they celebrated the Passover. The Passover was reminding them of how God had delivered them from Pharaoh and from the Egyptian army. Also in chapter 5, we see a significant turning point in Israel's life. Israel was now to start to live off the land that God had promised them. Back in Genesis chapter 
uh, 12, when God made the covenant with Abraham and said, This land will not become yours until the sin of the Amorites is full, meaning 400 years from the time of Abraham. And then in Joshua 5.15, we see where Joshua was told by God to remove his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Meaning that God was assuring Joshua that he was with him and that his presence was with him. But when they came to the city of Jericho, the first city to conquer, the preparation for victory continued. Because as they went to battle, in verse 10, God told them, or told Joshua to tell the Israelites to be silent. Verse 10, Joshua commanded the people, do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't say one, don't let one word come out of your mouth and the time I say shout, then you are to shout. They were not to speak a word as they marched around the city of Jericho. This was a monumental task, and I'm sure a very difficult task to do with such a large group of people. Some estimates have put the number of Israelites marching around the city of Jericho upwards of 2 million people. It's hard enough to get a small group of people moving without making noise. And if you're a teacher, you understand it's hard to get 20 students to move down a hallway without making noise. But Joshua had the task of getting up to 2 million people to march around the city without making any noise whatsoever. He also had to get the soldiers and everyone in line properly. He had to keep track of the children. And as a parent, it's hard sometimes for me to keep track of two children, much less multiple, multiple children. There were directions to be given and followed. They were probably being taunted and mocked by the soldiers of Jericho, calling them cowards, telling them they were afraid to fight, asking them, how are you going to conquer us with our fortified walls? And even this may have been difficult to ignore, the taunting and the mocking. But they did this for seven straight days. And how this was accomplished without people making noise is hard to comprehend. But Scripture says it was because it was part of God's plan. And as the Israelites were walking in silence around the walls of Jericho and seeing this big fortified city, they probably realized if Jericho was going to be conquered, it wasn't going to be because of what they did. It was only going to happen because of what God was going to do. And what the Israelites did is a lesson I think that we all need to learn and practice. If we're going to fulfill God's plan, if we're going to be obedient to God, we often need to be silent before God and allow Him to speak into our lives. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. How else can we know what God desires from us? How else can we know what God wants to do in our lives if we don't allow Him to speak to us? In a conversation, it's here it's hard to hear what someone else is saying if we are the ones doing all the talking. Two-way communication is very important in a relationship because broken communication leads to broken relationships. Broken communication leads to broken relationships. A big cause of divorce is because of lack of communication or broken communication. A big issue in our relationship with God is the issue of, of broken communication. If we have broken communication with God, we're going to have a broken relationship with God. You see, when we talk to God, we're not the ones that are to do all the talking. 
There's also supposed to be time where we do a lot of the listening. But I would say in our conversations with God, we spend a lot more time talking than we do listening. And God says, be still before me and know that I am God. And if we want to live a life of obedience, we're going to have to be still. We're going to have to be quiet before God. And we're going to have to allow Him to speak into our lives so we can listen to Him and know what He wants to do in our lives. I also want you to notice something else, how God prepared them. Several times as we read this passage, you saw that the Ark of the Covenant was mentioned. The Ark of the Covenant to the Israelites assembled the presence of God. And God was saying, I'm going to be with you every step of the way as you follow my plan. You see, when we're obedient to God like the Israelites, God's going to be with us every step of the way as well. God, throughout his word, has promised his presence in our lives. And just like he promised the Israelites his presence, if they were going to be obedient to him, God promises his presence in our lives as well. So if we want to be obedient to God, we need to prepare ourselves before God. And a big part of preparing ourselves before God is being silent before him and listening to him. The second thing I want to say is obedience to God requires cooperation with God. It's not enough to know what God wants us to do. We have to do it. There has to be follow-through. If the Israelites were going to be obedient to God, they had to trust God. And notice what God told Joshua in verse 2 of chapter 6. He said, the Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. God told Joshua that Jericho was already delivered into his hands. The enemy was already defeated, meaning the battle is not yours, Joshua. The battle is mine. And I want you to think of the confidence that Joshua must have had as he now went into the battle of Jericho, knowing that the battle was not his, but the battle was God's, and victory was already won. All he had to do was to be obedient to God and follow God's plan. As Christians, we fight battles every day. We have temptation. There's sin all around us. We have struggles. We have adversity. But I think sometimes we forget that we have the assurance that the the war has already been won. And we are fighting a defeated enemy, Satan. You say, how was Satan defeated? How has the war already been won? It was been through the cross and through the empty tomb that Satan has been defeated. And that we have victory in Christ. Look at Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. It says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, he also shared in these that through his death, meaning Christ's death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. In 1 John 3, 8, John writes, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the devil's work. We need to remember that we have a defeated enemy that we are fighting. Satan has been defeated by the cross and by the empty tomb and by the work of Christ. And because Jesus is victorious, we can be victorious. And as Christians, there's no reason for us to live a defeated life. We are not to be paralyzed by the enemy, but no, we can overcome him through the power of Christ. 
Romans 8, 37 and 39 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, as we face our battles in our lives and in our church, we need to have the confidence that Joshua had. We need to remember that the battle is not ours, but the battles that we face in our life is God's. And we need to trust God, and we need to take those battles out of our hands and put it into His hands. Psalm 27, Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and others in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I asked you this morning, what or who are you putting your trust in when you fight the battles of your life? You see, for the Israelites, their faith could not be in themselves. Their faith could not be in their plans. Their faith could not be in their own military strength. Their faith had to be in God. And notice that each Israelite had to do their part in order for the plan that God gave Joshua to be successful. They had to fully cooperate with Joshua. The priest had to blow the trumpets. The Ark of the Covenant had to be carried. The armed men had to be alert and be in the right position. And everyone had to be silent. In our lives, in the life of our church, we're going to face battles. We're going to face adversity. They're a part of life. But we have to approach the battles that we face the same way the Israelites approach the battle that they face. We have to trust God and His guidance and His wisdom and not ourselves. And we each have to do our part. And when we truly trust God, He will give us victory just like he gave the Israelites victory. The third thing I want to share with you this morning is obedience to God not only requires preparation before God and cooperation with God. Obedience to God requires dedication to God. What these Israelites did, it took energy. What these Israelites did, it took effort. For six straight days, they marched around the walls of the city once each day. And then they returned to camp, and they had nothing to show for it. Nothing happened. But on the seventh day, they marched around the wall seven times. And what these Israelites did, it couldn't have been comfortable. They may have experienced pain. They may have experienced discomfort as they marched around these walls a total of 13 times. So it took effort. It took energy. And what these Israelites did, it took faith. Hebrews 11.30 says, By by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled for seven days. I have a hard time walking around the block. I can't imagine walking around the walls of Jericho 13 times and have nothing to show for it. It took faith. And notice what Joshua did. Joshua did not tell them what was going to happen each day. He didn't gather the Israelites around and say, Guys, this is the game plan for today, and this is how it's going to happen. He gave them instructions one day at a time. He didn't tell them how many times they were going to march around the city. He didn't tell them exactly what was going to happen at the end of the seven days. He gave them instructions one day at a time. And at the end of the day, they were directed back to the camp, and the walls were still 
standing. They seem to be no closer conquering the city of Jericho than they were the day before. What it would have been us. What if that would have been us? Maybe we would have given up. Maybe we would have thrown in the towel. At the very least, maybe would have grumbled and complained and wondered if Joshua had lost his mind and did he really know Joshua, this great military commander, did he really know what he was doing? And I am sure that this was much different from what they imagined because it took patience. Most of us are not very patient people, as I talked about last week, but it took patience because the results were not immediate and we are people who like immediate results. They persevered. They did not seek to change the battle plan. They stuck with it. They did not seek to invoke their own strategy. They obeyed their commander, Joshua, who who was obeying his commander, Yahweh. And they were dedicated to God and to the mission that was before them. You see, the way God worked in the lives of these Israelites at Jericho is the way God wants to work in our lives as well. Because for us to do what God wants is going to take effort. It's going to take energy. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul wrote, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, there's that word, obeyed, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for His good purpose. Paul said as Christians, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And working out takes work. I don't like to work out either because it takes too much work and the results are not immediate. You can tell I don't work out much. It's not a secret. But Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? So God can have his way and do his will in your life. Also, if we want to do what God wants, it can be difficult. It's not always going to be easy. Sometimes God wants to stretch us. And in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, this is what God said. You are blessed when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. God said, consider it great. When people insult you. Consider it wonderful when people persecute you. He said, count it a joy. When was the last time you counted it a joy when someone insulted you or did evil against you or persecuted you? And then I think of what James said in James 1, 2. He said, whenever you experience various trials, consider it a great joy. He did not say if you experience various trials. He said, when you experience various trials, consider it a great joy. Often what God asks us to do, it can be difficult. Also to obey God, it it takes great faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The only way these Israelites were going to please God is if they put their faith and their trust in God and followed His plan for victory. And that's true in our own lives. The only way that we can truly praise God is if we have faith in God. It takes patience to do what God wants. It takes perseverance 
to do with what God wants. Why? Because he can see the end result and we cannot. He knows what lies ahead. We do not. And we must have faith that God's plan is best. And we must persevere even when the results are not immediate or even if it's not to our satisfaction. Because we have to realize that he, that his way is going to be greater and better and probably totally different than our way. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 Isaiah wrote, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. For as heaven is higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's plan for our lives may be totally different than what we ever thought or imagined. Scripture says that His ways and His thoughts are much higher than ours. And we must understand that God has a specific plan for our lives and we must follow it even if it doesn't make sense. I think when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis, it didn't make sense for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the son that was promised to him by God. But yet Abraham was willing to follow God and and go to the mountain and go to the top of the mountain and put Isaac on the altar and he would raise the knife and an angel appeared and stopped Abraham's arm from cutting the throat of his own son Isaac. Abraham displayed obedience. Abraham displayed faith. He displayed trust. I think of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 when God asked Gideon, to fight the Midianite army. And Gideon started off with, I think, twenty or 30,000 men. And by the time it was all said and done, he was down to 300 men to fight an army of sixty to 70,000. That took a lot of faith. But Gideon had faith in God's plan and trusted it. And I think in my own life, I've had to trust God's plan and follow His plan. I know you're not going to believe this, but I was a shy quiet kid growing up. I hated public speaking. I dreaded going to school when there was an oral book report. It made me sick to my stomach. You know why? My last name begins with A. I was always the first one called. And I couldn't stand it. I was so thankful when the teacher started in the middle of the alphabet or started at the end of the alphabet and worked backwards. I was so thankful for that teacher. That was rare. But I was a shy, quiet kid growing up. And if you would have told me when I was growing up that I would be doing what I'm doing today, I would have told you, you're nuts. But you know what? I finally had to buy into God's plan. And what God has done in my life and how he's done it, it doesn't make sense to me. And I would have never imagined that that the way things have turned out the way they have. But here's a word of caution and something I found out. Never think things will be better if you go your own way and do your own thing. Because they won't be. I can testify to that. I ran from God's plan for several years in my life. And I was absolutely miserable. But the moment I gave my plans to God and the moment I began following God's plan, things changed dramatically for the good. And does that mean I I didn't and don't have battles? No. I still have battles and I had battles, but I had peace in the midst of my, my battles because I knew that God was with me. 
And when we, or when God does not act as quickly as we think he should, or in the way we think he should act, we are not justified in giving up on his plan and choosing an alternative plan. Just think if the Israelites would have went away from God's instructions. Just think if the Israelites would have had the bright idea and and start uh, concocting their own plan. The result would have been disaster. Defeat would have been the outcome. And that's exactly what happens when we go away from God's plan. We're miserable. We may experience defeat. We may experience disaster. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that appears right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Have you ever given advice to someone or told them how to do something, but then they completely ignored the advice you gave them? Or have you ever been given advice to some, by someone and you completely ignored the advice that they gave you? You know what happens? You usually end up a mess and you realize, you know what? Maybe they knew what they were talking about. Maybe I should have done it the way they told me I should do it. You know what the result of that is when we don't follow the advice we're given? It can cause pain. It can cause frustration. It can cause heartache. And what is the reaction of the person who gave you the advice that that you didn't follow? Four words. I told you so. You know what? I think that's exactly how God feels when he reveals something to us that we ignored and choose to go our own way. You see, to ignore God's plan, to think we can succeed without God, is foolish. Because if we ignore God's plan, if we refuse the direction he has for us, The result is going to be frustration. The result is going to be disappointment. And maybe even disaster. In reality, what we're saying is, God, I am in control. God, I can handle this. God, I know what is best for me more than you do. In essence, what we're saying is that we are smarter and wiser than God. And this, if this was the case, if we think that we're smarter and wiser than God, we would be God and we would have no need for God. General Charles Duke, who was a former astronaut and part of the Apollo 16 mission to the moon, was asked. He said, once you were there, weren't you free to make your own decisions and carry out your own experiments? You know, sort of do as you please. Maybe stay a little longer if you liked. He smiled and said, sure, if we didn't want to return to Earth. He didn't describe the intricate plan and the exact and precise instructions given, the essential discipline that was needed, the instant obedience that was required right down to the last split second. He even mentioned they had plenty of fuel supply left when they touched down on the moon. Someone asked him how much. He said, we landed with one minute of fuel remaining. You talk about timing. You talk about precision. Can you imagine if if those astronauts would not have followed the instructions that they had been given and and the training that they had been given? If they wanted to survive, if they wanted to be successful, They had to have the utmost respect for the instructions they were given. And so it is with us. If we want to thrive in our relationship with God, we must be completely devoted and dedicated to His instructions and the plans He has given us and realize that God's work must be done His way and not our way. The last, or the number four, don't get too excited. There's a couple more points. Number four... Obedience to God brings blessings from God. 
Obedience to God brings blessings from God. Because the Israelites were obedient to God. And because they followed his battle plan, they were blessed. They were blessed in two ways. The first blessing on day seven, if they had finished walking around the wall seven times and the priests blew the trumpets and the people shouted after being silent for six days, the walls came down. God did what he said he was going to do. Why? Because of their obedience to him. And notice there were seven priests with seven trumpets, seven days, seven encirclements on the seventh day. And seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection in Scripture. And in this context, God was showing that the mission was complete and that his plan was followed to perfection. And what's interesting is Jericho was not overthrown by military might. But Jericho was overthrown by a supernatural sound of praise. Remember, the people were told to be silent for six days as they marched around the city once. On the seventh day, they had to be silent for seven times as they marched around the city. So for a total of 13 times, they had to be silent as they marched around those walls. And can you imagine the sheer volume of this shout of praise? You know, I love to watch college football. And what I love sometimes is to hear the crowd noise in the stadium. And sometimes they'll have a reporter on the sidelines with a decibel meter, which measures the the, the sound. And oftentimes they'll show it as, as over 100. And if you get over 100 decibels, that is pretty loud. That's the, that's the sound of a jet engine taking off. And too much exposure to that level of noise can cause serious damage. And I guarantee you the shout that these Israelites gave at the end of those, at the seventh time around the walls on the seventh day, it was much greater than a hundred decibels. Because what happened when they shouted? The walls came down. Because of their obedience to God, these thick, immovable, invincible walls came tumbling down. These walls were no match for God. And when these walls came down, the bricks crumbled and formed a ramp. And and look at this slide. Guys, you can throw that slide up. This is what archaeologists have discovered in the 1950s and 1997. They discovered that when the wall fell, that the fallen wall, it formed like a ramp for the Israelites to march in to the city of Jericho. Amazing. This is an example of Scripture being supported by archaeology. Showing that scripture is true, that what God said happened, did happen. And, our, and what we need to understand is that our obedience to God and our faith in God is going to bring down walls in our lives that should lead to shouts of praise. And you say, what do you mean? I don't know what wall you're facing in your life today. Maybe it's the wall of disappointment. Maybe it's the wall of fear. Maybe it's the wall of weary. Of worry. Maybe it's the fall of doubt. Whatever wall you're facing today, I want you to know that that wall in your life is no match for our God. There is no wall in your life that God can't bring down. And whatever wall you're facing, I want to give you the key to victory. You need to be silent before God. You need to be obedient to God. You need to put your faith in God. And here's the real key. You need to be patient with God and watch God do a work in your life that only He can do.
And here's the second blessing. After the victory, if you look at 624 in the book of Joshua, it says they burned up the city and everything in it, but they put the silver, gold, and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. After the victory, Joshua dedicated all of Jericho's plunder, the gold, the silver, the articles of iron and bronze, to the treasury of the Lord. And it was Joshua's conviction to put God first and to honor Him with all the treasure. You see, when God gives us victory in our life, when God brings our walls crashing down, we should not be silent but shout with praise about what God has done for us and then honor Him with our lives by giving Him our best. And the last point, disobedience to God brings discipline from God. Disobedience to God brings discipline from God. Growing up, I know it's hard to believe, but there were times when I got in trouble. You know why? Because I was blatantly disobedient to my parents. And my disobedience to, to, my, to my parents brought discipline from my parents. And I'm not talking about timeouts. I'm not talking about grounding. I'm talking about timeouts with a whooping. Not a whooping, a whooping. And my parents were gracious enough. They gave me time to be silent before God and to pray and to process what I did wrong before I was spanked for what I did wrong. And my parents would say this, I am doing this because I love you. And I would think to myself, I wish you would find a different way to love me. But seriously, I am thankful for the discipline that my parents instilled in my life. I'm thankful that my parents were willing to correct me and teach me right from wrong. And it's the same in our relationship with God. Being disobedient to God is going to bring discipline from God. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, God says He disciplined those He loves. And we should be thankful that God disciplines us. We should be thankful that God corrects us. We should be thankful that God desires to teach us right from wrong. You said, what did the Israelites do wrong? I thought they got the victory. They did. But in 6.17, the Hebrew word, there's a Hebrew word, word devoted. And the Hebrew word for devoted is the word harem. It means under the ban. It means to set apart to the Lord for destruction. It's the irrevocable giving over things or persons to the Lord, often by completely destroying them. It's to be made ineligible for human use. And basically, it's total destruction of the enemy and his goods. And that's exactly what God told the Israelites to do, to destroy everything that was connected to the city of Jericho. But there was a problem. In Joshua chapter 7, the Israelites went to engage in a battle, in a military campaign against the city of Ai. The city of Ai was 15 miles north of Jericho. And it was the next step on the conquest tour of Canaan. And they should have easily won this battle, but they lost it badly. And Joshua wondered why they lost in Joshua chapter 7 verses 6 through 9. And God told him in verses 10 through 12, he said, Joshua, you lost the battle at I because Israel has sinned. There's some, someone has gone against my covenant. What did God mean? Because in 6.18, he warned Israel if they took anything for themselves under the ban, they would pay for what they did. So how did Israel sin? God told him in 7.11 that one soldier's theft devoted goods, abandoned goods. It brought guilt upon the entire nation. 
And who was this man who caused Israel to lose the battle of Ai? This man's name was Achan. What did Achan take? He took a silver cloak. He took 200 shekels of silver. He took a bar of gold worth 50 shekels. He blatantly disobeyed God's command not to take anything connected to Jericho. And as a result of his sin, Achan and his family were stoned to death and burned. Israel lost the battle of Ai and and several men of the nation Israel were lost in that battle. Verse 5 of chapter 7 says, Israel's army melted in fear. This is the same army that just marched around Jericho and saw the walls came down and now they're melting in fear. In verses 7 and 9 it says, Joshua questioned God. And in verse 7 verse 12 it says, God threatened to remove his presence unless the sin was removed and dealt with. You see, Achan paid for his sin as did his family and the entire nation of Israel. This one man's sin greatly affected others and an entire nation. And Achan's example is clearly what happens when one man disobeys God. You see, we must understand that our sin not only affects us, our sin affects those around us. Our sin affects our family. Our sin may affect our friends. Our sin may affect our work. Our sin may affect our church. And we must understand that God is not content with us doing right some of the time. He wants us to do right all of the time. And we cannot pursue the holiness of God if we are harboring the sinful pleasures of the world. And in 7.13, God told the Israelites to consecrate themselves. That word consecrate comes from the Hebrew word kadash. It, It can also be translated sanctify or purify. And it refers to the activity of dedicating yourself to a specific purpose or intention or person. And in the biblical context, to consecrate something is to make it holy or sacred. It's to set it apart. And that's exactly what God told the Israelites to do. And for us as Christians, it means separating ourselves from the world and setting ourselves apart for God. It's approaching God with a pure heart. Because God's desire is for us to be completely devoted, to be completely consecrated to Him. For us to be holy as He is holy in 1 Peter 1, 14-16 says, God says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. It is written, Be, be holy because I am holy. Peter said, As obedient children... We are to be holy to God. We are to be devoted to God, dedicated to God in all of our conduct. And if there is anything in our lives that is hindering our complete obedience and devotion to God, we must remove it and we must get rid of it. Because if we don't have a pure heart before God, we can't be used by God. And this will keep us from experiencing the blessings of God and it could affect the lives of others. Here's the bottom line. God brings victory as well as defeat. You see, if we're obedient to God, our lives and our church are going to be blessed by God. But if we are disobedient to God, we're going to experience the discipline of God. And in 6-2, where we first started, the Lord promised to hand Jericho, its kings and its warriors, over to Joshua. God did exactly what he said he would do. The battle was won. The fortified cities was was theirs. The walls came down. 
All they had to do was follow God in complete obedience, and that is exactly what happened. And like Joshua and the Israelites, we don't have to figure out how to win the battles in our lives. But we need to have the mindset that the battles are not ours, but the battles are God's. And we must live a life defined by obedience, by preparing ourselves before God, by cooperating with God, and dedicating and devoting ourselves to God. And when we do this, we will experience victory in our lives and the life of our church. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning to give your life to Christ today. That is the best decision you will ever make. And I want to encourage you to make Him your Savior and your Lord by putting your faith and trust in Him. And maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to Jesus. I want you to think about, is your life being defined by obedience to God? Are you preparing yourself before God by being silent before Him? Are you cooperating with Him by trusting Him? Are you dedicated and devoted fully to Him? Are you all in in your relationship with God? Are you obedient to God and holy in all of your conduct towards God? Maybe you're here this morning and maybe there's other decisions you need to make. Maybe you need to come forward for baptism or church membership. Or maybe God's calling you into full-time Christian ministry. We'd love to celebrate as a church with you of that calling God has placed on your life. Maybe you just need to come and pray about something that God has put on your heart. We're going to sing in a moment after I pray. And as we sing, I want you to do business with the Lord. Whether God's calling you to salvation or maybe God's calling you to make changes in your life that need to be made so you can live a life defined by obedience to Him. Whatever it is, as we sing in a moment, I want you to come. But let's pray before we have our time of commitment. Father, we just come before you right now. God, we just thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the life of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And Father, I pray that our prayer would be that our lives would be defined by a life of obedience to you. God, that we would prepare ourselves before you, that we would listen to you more than we talk to you. God, I pray that our lives would be defined by cooperating with you, by trusting you, and God, by dedicating and devoting ourselves fully to you. And Father, I pray if there's one here this morning that does not know you, I pray that as we sing here in a moment, they would come forward and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Father, if there's someone here who's struggling in their Christian walk, may they come to this altar and just pray and maybe recommit themselves to you. Father, whatever decisions need to be made this morning, I pray that you'll work in each and every heart. God, we thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you for your word and for your truth. And we just ask all these things in your name. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you need to come forward for any reason, we encourage you to come this morning.